This is a Double J podcast. For copyright reasons, the music has been edited. To hear the full tracks, listen to the J Files Thursday nights on Double J or head to doublej.net.au and click on the track list at the bottom of each episode. Hey, it's Kaz Tran here. Welcome to The J-Files, the podcast for people who love music. Each episode, we pick a different artist or band. We look at some of the most important moments in their career and we celebrate their impact on music all in less than 30 minutes. Sometimes we dig into a theme like the music of a certain city or the influence of a particular record label. On this episode, it's the musical phenomenon known as the supergroup. That unique combination of different artists and bands coming together to create something bigger than the sum of its parts. Well, it's right. It looked great on paper, but when you get in a room, in order for a band to be great, it has to be authentic, it has to find its own chemistry, and we couldn't rely on past chemistries. Having people who really understand what it's like to, to tread this path has been Wonderful, and our friendship has just deepened over the years. Johnny was stressed out, I was stressed out, so this was our solace. You know, we could go and make music rather than uh, just play it all the time. Yes, we've had some legendary supergroups come through Triple J and Double J over the years, so we've dug out some of the best interviews from the archives. From a rap rock protest band to the first all-female Australian supergroup, there is some absolute gold coming your way. We're kicking off with a band who's widely considered to be the very first supergroup. It was in 1966 that British band Cream was formed. Eric Clapton was from the Yardbirds and John Mayle and the Blues Breakers. And Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce were from the Graham Bond organisation. All three musicians had felt stifled by their earlier bands, so they broke off to form Cream. In the sunshine of your It was a short-lived band, only around for a couple of years, but their influence lasted decades. After Cream, Eric Clapton and Ginger Baker formed another short-lived supergroup called Blind Faith, this time teaming up with former Traffic members Steve Winwood and Rick Greck. Here's Richard Kingsmill talking to drummer Ginger Baker in 1990 about some of his many projects. Um, it's a very short-lived uh, situation, in fact. But um, the, the most enjoyable part of it was down when we it first started happening down at Stevie's Cottage. Stevie's probably the the best keyboard player around, apart from the fact that he's a great singer and everything else but his, uh, I really dig his piano playing <laughs> yeah we did one album and one tour how come how come it didn't last longer um Eric got tied up with Delaney and Bonnie they were on the tour with us and Eric uh, at one point on the tour he said to me that uh, Delaney and Bonnie was a better band than we were and I was absolutely astounded I went are you serious he was. Yeah. So he went off. He went off with them. Yeah. 
Well, look, I just wanted to ask you as well. I mean, did did because it reminded me, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I guess a lot of people have kind of mentioned it to you, but the Gary Moore album that you've just done or recorded with Gary Moore and Jack Bruce, it reminded me a fair bit of Cream. Uh, did well, it's bound to, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Was that going through your mind then as you were recording it too? Uh, yeah, we 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 knew that was happening, and we're all so so what, <laughs> you know? I mean. Uh, that's just the way. I mean, if you get you, you, Jack and I playing together, you're going to get a certain sound, aren't you? And then uh, you know, Gary's a pretty amazing guitar player, so it's bound to sound sort of. I, I think it. I think it sounds sort of of the same thing, but it's not the same thing, which is what's nice about it. You know. What What's different? Do you think in your mind? Gary. <laughs> He's not Eric. Gary and Eric are not the same guitar player. They're both they're both different, you know. But Gary is very Gary's very much influenced by Eric, isn't he? I think so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh won't you come, won't you light all my life? So Cream was the very first supergroup and to our knowledge, the first Australian all female supergroup was Seeker Lover Keeper. Fight all my fights. Seeker Lover Keeper formed in 2010 when Sydney solo artists Sarah Blasco, Sally Seltman and Holly Throsby joined forces. Here's the trio talking to Lindsay McDougall on Triple J in 2011 about how they formed the band. We're all kind of friends and have known each other for some years. Uh, Sarah and I went to see a new Buffalo show, which was the name Sally um, previously performed under, as many people will know, um, in Newtown in Sydney. And then we went to the town hall and got a bit drunk and decided to start a band together. <laughs> but you haven't been performing as new Buffalo for a little while, so that, this must have started. Yeah, yeah quite a while ago. it was a while ago yeah. that we decided and it took us a while to get here. <laughs> yeah. And, and was it always uh, you three? Was there anyone else in the running for SLK, etc.? I thought we asked you, but you, <laughs> no one... you... You don't want... You trust me. You don't want me on this, this sort of stuff, just ruining the, uh, the dynamic. Is it... Um, so just always you guys, just and it just work yeah, like that? Yeah. Just we, the three of us. The three of us just were really, you know, friends, and we discussed touring together as the three of us doing some kind of tour or playing on each other's songs and this kind of thing, and then we just decided we may as well just start a band. And so it was all at the Town Hall Hotel where you decided? The, the seeds were sown. Yeah. <laughs> and when did you first get together to actually, uh, you know, make music as a three-piece? It started off we'd send each other just a demo that, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd all kind of write a song and send a demo and then we all loved each other's demos. And, uh, <laughs> <Luckily>. <laughs> but we, we, we um, <clears throat> got together at my house when I was living in Melbourne. Is that when we first kind yeah. of... Kind yeah. of was like a band meeting and talked about, I don't know... Things. Books. Yeah, yeah, books. books. <laughs> this and that. And yeah. yeah, and then kind of organised a time where we, we all got together at Holly's place over a few days and sat around her piano and started playing through all the songs and yeah, having a great time. Even though I'm a woman, picking up my bags from the station. When it came to, to the lyrics in the song, did you all just write separately or are there bits where you sort of came together and sort of lend each other words and stuff? We all wrote separately. Yeah, but I felt like we were all kind of channeling each other in a weird way. Yeah. Like I felt when I was writing um, a song like Light of My Lights, I felt 
It's trying to channel both Sally and Sarah, and I think we all had each other in mind in some way. And that's the song that Sarah sings that you wrote. Yeah, we all we thought it would be really good if we all swapped and sung each other's songs quite a bit. In the late 1980s, a couple of musicians from Manchester decided to form a supergroup. Joy Division and New Order's Bernard Sumner formed Electronic with ex-Smiths guitarist Johnny Marr. And if you don't normally count duos as a supergroup, Electronic technically counts because they enlisted the help of Pet Shop Boys and Kraftwerk. Here's Bernard Sumner talking to Zan Rowe on Double J in 2020. Well, the reason we formed Electronic really was because I was burnt out with New Order and it, we, just, we just seemed to get bushed out on the road over and over and over again. To, to pay for the Hacienda's Mountain debt and I got sick of it and I just thought it's had that you know and um, Johnny had just uh, just the Smiths had just split up and Johnny was a bit traumatised by <clears throat> one of the other members of the Smiths I don't know but, who that could be um, well it could be any of them it I'm not be, naming names it could be democratic it but could use, be any of them. use your imagination mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so uh, and Johnny was stressed out I was stressed out so this was our um, solace you know our, our um, you know we could go and make music rather than uh, just play it all the time mm. and uh, it was great working with Johnny and, and Neil Tennant got involved as well on one of the tracks uh, he got involved on in getting away with it and Chris Lowe uh, played a bit of keyboards on the track as well um, but it it was great. It was really good. In fact, it was so good that we sort of locked ourselves in the studio for a couple of years. And Johnny loves being in the studio and he loves talking. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we did. We got stuck down there for a couple of years and it was in the basement of his house and he wouldn't let me out. Were you good friends with him before you started this project? Uh, no, I'd met him uh, once or twice before. Though. Mm. I thought he was a nice guy, you know. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I remember I turned up in the middle of summer and go, and about time we got this record finished, Johnny. And because look at the weather, it's beautiful. Look at we're missing all the summer, you know. And uh, he goes, Oh, what better could you be doing than making music on a day like today? I said, Yeah, but in a cell with no windows. <laughs> and then I went down and, and uh, we were supposed to do vocals that morning. And they set up a vocal booth and put loads of mattresses in it with a, a red light bulb in it. I was like, oh, God, this is so depressing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a fresh air freak and sunshine and you know, a bit of an outdoor type. Johnny isn't. Yeah. Johnny is quite happy to spend a lot of time in the recording studio. American guitarist Tom Morello is no stranger to the supergroup. After Rage Against the Machine broke up in 2000, he and fellow Rage members Tim Comerford and Brad Wilk started another hugely successful band, teaming up with Soundgarden singer Chris Cornell to form Audio Slave. Around the American presidential election in 2016, Tom Morello was once again inspired to form a supergroup. 
This time, the members of Rage teamed up with public enemies Chuck D and Cypress Hill rapper Be Real to form Prophets of Rage. Here's Tom Morello and Chuck D talking to Zan Rowe on Double J in 2018 about finding their musical chemistry. Yeah, well, it was during the uh, election cycle in 2016 in the U.S., which was absolutely crazy. And I saw, uh, you know, on the bottom of the screen, cry on on CNN. It said, Donald Trump rages against the machine. I said, oh, hell no. You don't get that. That's not for you. So I very furiously tweeted about it and then checked myself and realized that it wasn't going to be a a social media assault was not going to be enough. We're going to have to put a band together and Prophets of Rage was born. How far back do you guys go though? How did you know each other before this? Public Enemy was the first group to ever take Rage Against the Machine on tour. I was getting ready to say, but let's go back to Noah's Ark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and can you believe like 2015 it it swirled in Tom's head and um, here we are, 2018. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a band that you know, was born of a political emergency, but it's a band that really loved playing together. And, you know, it's members of Rage Against the Machine, uh, Cypress Hill, Public Enemy. We've played in front of two and a half million people in our you know two-year history, and this is our first time in Australia, and we're totally psyched. It's a band, as you mentioned, that's made up of, you know, all, all of those uh, other acts, um, but the, the chemistry of this supergroup, I imagine, would live there in your separate outfits, you know, you with DJ Lord, Chuck, and, and yeah. you obviously with other members of, of Audio Slave and Rage. How was it when you all got together and you started making music? I mean, was it kind of like who gets to lead the ship, who gets to be the captain? No, it was it was a, it was a bit of a process because it really it looked great on paper, but when you get in a room, in order for a band to be great, it has to be authentic, it has to find its own chemistry, and we couldn't rely on past chemistries. We had to forge our own, so we practiced for months in secret in the San Fernando Valley near Los Angeles before we had something that we felt was really potent. And let me tell you, over the course of the last... I mean, we've played uh, over a hundred shows now, and it's really, it really feels great on stage. We are rocking super furiously. The sound of Prophets of Rage is, of course, leaning more towards that kind of rap rock that you've been living with for quite a while, Tom. But for you, Chuck, did it feel easy to slide into that coming from Public Enemy and your background in music? Yeah, because we have, you know, we're fans, aficionados of, of the records and also records in uh, in general. We come from DJ culture and mm. and these are the best players in the world. And we've been friends and also acknowledged it from, from close up and far. So no one plays like Tom, Tim, and Brad when they get together. Nobody. And I'm not just saying it because I'm close, and I'm not just saying it because I am biased, but it's just the truth. And out of that alchemy comes, you know, a power and a a committed speed and precision that that few can match. So, I mean, getting on top of it was a task because you have to really come with some power and speed to be heard. Jack White is another card-carrying participant of the supergroup. Here he is in 2010, talking to Tom and Alex on Triple J about the new band he'd formed called The Dead Weather. Well, we got uh, the best uh, female front person out there, uh, Alison Mossart, on uh, lead vocals and guitar. She's uh, pretty incredible. She's quite the firecracker. And um, <laughs> Dean Fertitta on... Uh, lead guitar he plays also in the queens of the stone age and uh and sometimes with uh, raconteurs and brendan benson 
And you've got uh, little Jack Lawrence on bass, and he's uh, he's an incredible. He's sort of been my right hand man for years. You know, he played on the Loretta Lynn album with me and the Greenhorns. He was in the Rack and Tours, and uh, he's he's incredible. And uh, and then they got me on drums. So, how did how did you pull all these guys together? How did you form the Dead Weather? We've all known each other for a long time, and it was just an accident, really. It was we had one show at the the Rack and Tours with played with the kills warming up for us in Atlanta and uh, the next day we had a day off and uh, I said well, why don't we record a single me and uh, Little Jack and Alice and I said why don't we come over because I got this new record label I'm starting it'd be nice if you came over and did a 7 inch uh, with us and she said sure Dean uh, just happened to be staying at my house and he just came in the studio and uh, we uh, pretty soon we'd had five or six songs written and we so we thought, wow, this is sort of what happened when the Rack and Tour started. It just sort of came out of nowhere, and I had no plans to be in a new band. And uh, but the songs came out so powerful, I just had to be, uh, had to let it happen. You know? What's it like, sort of, being in a band that has formed in this way, rather than going to your, your friends and previous ones, where you just sort of build your way up through, through doing gigs and that sort of thing, but rather forming as people say now, super groups. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I'm in a position where I can just uh, do things that I want to do instead of what I what I have to do, and mm. I'm very lucky for that. But uh, so it's nice to be able to do uh, to play the drums again too. I used to, I used to do nothing but play the drums when I was younger, and uh, I sort of got sidetracked on this guitar uh, trickery, and, <laughs> and now I'm back uh, to playing the drums. Now, uh, I'd love to know a little bit about how you guys go about writing uh, the tracks with the Dead Weather. Is it sort of a collaborative thing with you and Allison, or do you you bring everything to the table? Uh, how does it work? It's quite collaborative, uh, and everybody uh, is very, very uh, inspired in this in this band. When we're in the room, I, like for example, I would have thought Dean on guitar wouldn't wouldn't be writing much when we got together, but he's written you know half the album or the first album and, and half of the new record. We're almost done with the new record, so it's almost finished. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Oh, man, it's sneeze. That is an exclusive uh, sneeze. That is an exclusive Jack White sneeze. <laughs> we're, we're, about to, we're about to be finished. We're, we're, we're finishing recording the last couple of songs, and then I'm going to start mixing in the next two weeks. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it should be out in April. Well, it's pretty, uh, pretty ferocious to watch Allison on stage. I mean, I, I think that nobody really is commanding the stage like her nowadays. And I like playing drums behind her. It's incredible. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's nice to support that. Uh, she, she's, she's doing, uh, she's putting on the kind of show that I would want to go see. And is there any uh, tension there with Allison? Do you guys fight over the lead vocal at all? I'm sure, I'm sure you're you're both used to being at the forefront of a band and having the limelight. Is there any tension there between you and Allison? Well, yeah, we definitely fight a lot, but it's not over vocals. So it's, <laughs> it's, that, that's never been a problem. I think uh, it's it's really inspiring to work with her and everybody in the band in the studio. Uh, things come out very very quickly, and uh, we push each other uh, really hard to. Uh, to come up with the next thing and it's just I've never been in a band like this before
Dean Petita isn't the only member of Queens of the Stone Age to join a supergroup. At the same time, he was forming the Dead Weather in Nashville. Queens of the Stone Age frontman Josh Homme was invited to join Them Crooked Vultures in Los Angeles with Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl and Led Zeppelin's John Paul Jones. In 2009, Dave Grohl spoke to Robbie Marik and the Doctor on Triple J about how the band started. I mean, honestly, I think that it, it's going to sound silly, but the band got together and formed almost as any other band would get together and form, you know? I when mean, you put the ad I've in the known, back of the I, street press? Well, not like that, but right. just like friends who know each other, you know? Josh and John had never met each other before, but I'd played with Josh before and I'd played with John before, and knowing that we're all sort of the same type of musician, um, it, it only made sense that we should get together and try. And so Josh and I, I've known Josh for like 18 years. I've known him a long time. And we jammed together with Queens before, and, you know, we play great together. And we'd been talking about doing a project, and mm. I said, uh, hey, you want me to call John Paul Jones? Because he, <laughs> yeah. he might do it. Because awesome. honestly, John, like, John is John's a great guy. I mean, outside of being a musical genius, he's a really good dude that just wants to jam, you know. And he'll he'll if you want to play some bluegrass, he'll get down and play some bluegrass with you. You want or if he's not producing a butthole surfers record or jamming with you know a, a choreographer or doing Zeppelin stuff, like he just wants to play. He's a really musical person, and um, and so I asked him if he was interested, and he thought about it, and then he said, "Yeah, let's try." And we met here in Los Angeles at Josh's studio and plugged in and within like three minutes we realized that this is something that we had to do for a long time. Save me from what I Back on the home front and Dyson Stringer Cloa is another cracking Australian supergroup. The trio made up of Mia Dyson, Liz Stringer and Jen Cloa formed in 2013 and released an EP which they toured around the country. They then went back to their solo gigs, releasing six albums between them before returning to the project for the first official Dyson Stringer Cloa album in 2019. I spoke to the trio just as they'd released their brilliant self-titled record. The very, very early origin story is that I stalked Mia into being my friend. Uh, when I saw her play the Brunswick Music Festival Many moons ago. Dice, when do you reckon it would have been? Well, uh, I reckon it would have been 2001. 2001. Oh, wow. Uh, I went along and I saw her um, playing and I was, you know, blown away. So I rang the box office of the Brunswick Music Festival and asked for her phone number, which they gave to me, a landline. This is pre-social media stores. This is pre-mobile phones too. Particularly creepy. I rang Mia up. And we chatted for an hour. I was like, oh, hey, you know, I saw you at the Brunswick Music Festival. My name's Jen. I've just moved from Sydney and I'm really keen to play some music. And we talked about a few records. I think uh, Lucinda Williams and Gillian Welsh had dropped some, like, Essence and Time the Revelator that year, just some small, lightweight albums. And um, <laughs> and that's kind of where we got started. I mean, many years later I joined you on your parking lots tour. But you knew about Liz before I did. Yes, a a, um, a music industry insider who shall remain nameless sent me a Liz Stringer CD and I was floored by a song. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was on a demo. And Must uh, have made a 
particular it did it did I actually I mean I actually think I actually pestered you to play it and you were like no that's in my back catalog that's old that's nothing that's in my I had one album at the time yeah yeah and I I invited Liz on tour um in the 2007 uh tour and fell in love with everything that she does and uh and then Jen was the one to suggest that we we just try and join forces and we loved already touring in each other's bands we'd open for each other we'd been you know players in each other's bands and played on each other's records yeah. as well over yep. the years and so really just, had yeah. seen each other through you know we're real um musical comrades through these mm. years really you know having people who really understand what it's like to to tread this path has been wonderful and our friendship has just deepened over the years and uh we're so thrilled to get to finally make a record together yes the phenomenon of the supergroup sounds like it brings just as much joy to the artists as it does to the fans there's something really special about that mash of personalities styles genres fan bases and touring calendars sometimes these supergroups make perfect sense other times they make you scratch your head. If nothing else, they're an engine for innovation and a charming quirk of music culture. The J Files is a Double J podcast. Make sure you like, follow and share. Our producer is Gab Burke with production support from Phoebe Bennett and Sam Wicks. Theme music is by Art vs. Science. You can check out Double J anytime on the Triple J app or at doublej.net.au. I'm Kaz Tran. Thanks for listening.